Nando's. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Muscaro, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nothing game. spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bello. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game right. winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. Fight. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Monday, Jay Sandos and Mike Gallagher as we recap ETSU men's and women's basketball pros versus Jays and a very special, yeah, another W on bold predictions for the good guy. Not looking forward to that part of the show today. You are. Really not. You bragged, you bragged, you bragged, you bragged. A little bit of a slump. A lot of swing and misses coming from you right now. A lot of swing and misses. And the biggest one, of course, being my Minnesota Vikings. I was on top of pretty much every game this weekend, including the one that you picked correctly. And, of course, the one that meant the Yee-hoo! most to me. The one that meant the most to me. I mean, what talk about laying an egg on the road against a San Francisco team that, yeah, has a good defense, but offensively, I think, have been challenged a lot of the year and made them look brilliant. Ugh, so frustrating. Extra week. Sometimes anyway. they talk about that, the extra week. I, I'll say this. And Although I, we'll talk Ravens. about bold predictions. <laughs> we want to talk about bold predictions because the Niners were different than the Ravens, though. The Ravens did exactly what used to drive people crazy, that especially around here because they're Peyton Manning fans and would see the Colts every year, wrap up the league in like week 13. And week 17, they never play Peyton. They never play anybody. They rest everybody. And the next thing you know, it's three weeks yep. between games because the two weeks you don't play, week to week, that's three weeks. And they lose that game a lot. And that was part of the problem was they, they just – it's hard for teams – to, it's sort of like in baseball where you see a team that would win like the wild card game and sweep and then that, the other series go like the full seven and a team set there for seven, eight days and it takes the offense a little while. Like th- these guys are so into repetition, game reps, all this stuff that I think it kills you. I cannot believe John Harbaugh. I questioned it at that moment and told people I thought that they would lose no matter who they played. Now, again, it's easy to, to blatantly throw stuff on the wall, but I think history right. shows you, you know, a lot of times – the Niner team back then didn't do it. The Cowboys teams back then, when they had the dynasty, didn't do it. And, of course, obviously I'm a Patriots fan, but the Patriots didn't do it. Was a Patriots fan, I should say. My Titans are winning again, so we're good to go. Anyway, let's talk um, – we'll get back into that because that really gets me fired up. All right, let's talk uh, ETSU men's basketball. And I – speaking of bold predictions, I did nail that ETSU would have an offensive onslaught mm. of the 90 or 100 or 20, 100 points I said that was going to happen, which did not. And – Another day where ETSU's defense, which has been very impressive and maybe being overshadowed because everyone, including us, keep harping on the offense and the fact the defense has been incredible uh, holding teams. that They're the best defensive team in the league, scoring defense, full goal percent, all that good fun stuff, and they pick up another win with defense. To me, it's encouraging because, Mike, you can sit there and go, well, we really want the offense to run. I can't win championship. Okay, well, what if the offense does turn it on the last seven, eight games and you're still playing this defense? Is anybody going to be within 20 points of you? And I'm a firm believer that this offense is going to figure it out. I am surprised that it has taken the amount of time that it has so far. But as I'll get into in just a few moments, there's a historical precedent amongst some of the best regular season teams in recent memory for these type of struggles at this time frame of a season so I'm not tremendously worried and actually a program that coach Forbes was even involved in at the time of those struggles but you're right the defense I mean Garrett Gilkison was I think 25 points last weekend uh, against Sanford or whoever it was and uh, they I believe lost that game 78-75 he and Josh Sharkey had quite the battle but two points one of seven from the field and VMI ends up shooting 19 of 48 now ETSU of course I think I saw the stat was four field goals in the first couple of minutes or whatever to jump out to that 9 nothing lead and then only 14 the rest of the way. Yeah, very concerning, but as you mentioned, 
the fact that you're able to rely on the defense and at this moment it is the stronger part of your team giving up 55 to VMI that was well below their average and now you look at the last four and it's 48 against Wofford 65 against Furman that's a team that can explode on a given day so 65 that gave you a chance to win the game you just happened to score 56 that day 57 against UNCG and what I thought was just a uh, brilliant defensive performance and VMI of course maybe isn't the caliber of the Wofford the Furman or the UNCG but offensively so far they've shown this year because they just like to huck it from three uh, they can be a team that can put up big points so you're absolutely right Uh, defensively absolutely excellent again and this is a team that's going to continue to be challenged this week defensively because you do have Western Carolina coming up which you aptly pointed out that's on Saturday after the Sanford game on Wednesday which won't be a cakewalk either but you aptly pointed out to me as we came on air right before uh, you welcomed us to the show on this Monday that the top of the Southern Conference standings features Western Carolina your league leading catamounts of Western Carolina now they play Wednesday Furman and of course Saturday welcome back to reality We'll see Western how that Carolina. goes for the Catamounts. And it just proves, A, Carlos Dotson is still a man down low. But Mason Faulkner, who ETSU fans should remember from playing two games when he was at Northern Kentucky, is a talented scorer to go with Dotson down low. We'll talk about that on Friday as we get into our preview for Western Carolina ETSU. Buck started four or five shooting in the game. Went on like a seven-minute lull. Then he went three of three. They had a 9 nothing run and 8 nothing run. Hmm. So if you take the 7 for 8 out of the equation, the other 14 minutes, give or take? 11 to 44. Uh, it's, um, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it was 3 oh, of man. 16 in the first half. You add that in, and you're right. Now I was getting there. You beat me to it. But you look at those numbers, and you're going, okay, other than these two spurts, I mean, it was a struggle. Now, again, there were times, and it was a little bit of everything. There were layups missed in front of the rim. There were clean, wide-open jump shots missed. A little shocking, uh, and I know they got to the free throw line, and that was actually the determining factor, the fact uh, that ETSU was was able to outshoot VMI at the charity stripe, 20 of 31 compared to 10 of 11. But there were still points left there because a normally great shooting free throw shooter in Lucas Gasson, particularly rough day for him. He came in 75%, finished 3 of 8. Tisdale, 1 of 4. You know, Bo Hodges is continuing to get a little better if you've noticed the last couple games but he's still in the 60 lower 60 percentile but he at least went three or four that was a good sign he missed his first made his last three it's good to see patrick good uh, go back to being patrick good seven of eight trey boyd who missed free throw the other day two of two but etsu again with vmi and vmi particularly you mentioned this on the preview on the road's been good if you go back and look particularly in johnson city they've been good they have struggled against ETSU, uh, or at least under Steve Forbes, they've struggled at home to sort of stay in the game. Their only win in the last, like, 19 affairs was a Murray Bartos last year. VMI at home did beat ETSU, but under Steve Forbes, they really haven't been close in Lexington. They've been really good in Johnson City for whatever reason. And what's important when your offense is struggling for ETSU, uh, any team, but specifically in this case, the Bucs, you have to create easy points, right? And when you can turn defense to offense that's going to help mask some of those offensive issues 14 points off turnovers they forced 19 vmi turnovers you'd again like to be that we've talked about it on the show before like that to be more one-to-one points off turnovers to the amount of turnovers forced but 14 points off turnovers from the 19 that they forced and only six points off turnovers for vmi on 80 tsu turnovers and also second chance points right you want to be able to at the basket get those second chances the more you have the ball the more likely you are to score even when you're struggling 10 to 4 and second chance points for the box i understand that no jerome rodriguez and that's a huge chunk of your rebounding but vmi did out rebound etsu and again that that's a little bit troublesome because of how good ETSU has been on the glass. Again, I understand you don't have a almost a, a walking double-double at any moment, Jerome Rodriguez. The other thing I'd point out is the post-play. Again, I felt ETSU against the matchup zone clearly had an advantage inside. Not only was Lucas Gasson getting to the free-throw line, but Vonnie Patterson, Lucas Gasson, Joe Hughley combined for 10 of 14 shooting. And you're still frustrated because two of those misses were just gimmies uh, by two different players. But you're still, you're 10 of 14, pretty efficient. They combined, I think, to get to the free throw line, I think it was 13 times. Um, now, again, they didn't hit that many because Lucas had an off day, and normally Lucas is going to. And I blame Star Wars night because they kept 
uh, playing the clip that said use the force Luke every time mm. he was getting ready to shoot the free throw, and he kept missing. I kept wanting to scream, stop running the clip. <laughs> but they didn't listen to me. So, anyways, let's hear from Steve Forbes. We can't continue to win basketball games shoot 30% from, you know, in the 30s from the field. This is not going to happen. It, it'll catch up to us. And uh, so we got to get that figured out. And um, that's on me. But to that point, and this is what I was going to get to at some point in this first segment, the larger picture and looking back to some teams that have been the best that we've seen in the regular season over the last, let's call it, what, 17 seasons. There's only been two teams that have finished a regular season on the men's basketball side with undefeated regular seasons in the last 17 years. Can you name them? Don't cheat. In the last 17 years, it would be uh, Davidson and Wofford. Uh, no, I'm talking about overall throughout the entire uh, all country. Of, and All talking, of college basketball. Yeah, and we're not talking league. We're talking throughout the entire regular season. Two teams. So Wofford? No. No. no oh, um, uh, Wichita. Wichita. Wichita State. Wichita State. Sorry. Wichita State. And uh, Gonzaga. No, Kentucky, the next ah. year after Wichita State. Ah. Let's also keep in mind ah. that an assistant coach on that Wichita State team at that time was? Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes. That Wichita State team had four straight games at almost exactly this time in the year, January 5th to January 14th of 2014, in which they had four straight games where they shot 41% or less, including a three-point overtime win over a 9-9 and Missouri Valley Conference Missouri State team. ETSU right now has shot in four consecutive games, 40% or below. Kentucky, 2014-15, three straight right around this time of year, December 27th, 2014, to January 10th, 2014, where they shot 42% or below. Those are the two best regular season teams in the last 17 seasons of men's basketball at the Division One level in the NCAA. What we have to remember from that precedent and from the grand scheme big picture is that every team, and this is my point, every team – regardless of how well they finish at the end, at the beginning of how well they're playing, throughout the 30 games that you play in the regular season, 28, 32, whatever it is, you're going to struggle offensively at some point. That's the reason I bring up Wichita State and Kentucky because they're as good as it gets in the regular season over the last 17 seasons. They even had their struggles, and it was right around this time. And Steve Forbes was an assistant coach on one of those teams, so that tells me that the Bucs are going to be able to figure it out when even those type of teams, those echelon of teams, can struggle the way they did and the Bucs having similar struggles, I'm not worried at all. I thought you were going with those teams that would ask championship, and since we lost one of those, we're going to win a championship. Is that not where you're going with that? I like where your head's at. I knew you weren't going there. but uh, I, I like where your head's at. I, no, I, I, and I'll tell you what, outstanding research. I couldn't get out of conference for some reason, uh, even though you kept screaming at me like seven <laughs> times. Like, I gave you the look not like, conference, overall, conference. overall, yeah. overall. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I got out of control. And – um, I, it is interesting to see, but there always is ebb and flows. I think what, what changes when ETSU went on that 16-game win streak a few years ago, right. they were pummeling people, and it looked like because of some of the scores, the way the game was going towards the end of 2019 part of the schedule, it seemed like that was going to be that way again. But, you know, it's one of these situations where – then when they got in close games late because he didn't have many close games. I mean, he had a couple, but he didn't have many. And then you turn around and look and say, man, I couldn't win any of the three close ones. They weren't in it. ETSU this year has had several different ways to win games, whether it's have a big lead and barely hang on, whether it's have a big lead, somebody come all the way back, take the lead, then come back to take the lead. You know, it was interesting. VMI led ETSU uh, – the lo- the latest that any team's ever led the Bucks in Freedom Hall this year, which is shocking because they held like a one point lead with like nine minutes to go in the first half. And, and to be fair, I think it's only been like what uh, fifteen minutes throughout the entire season that ETSU hasn't led at home, so it's been a small sample size. And, and the largest deficit's still been three points by Delaware wow, State. That's pretty by incredible. Delaware State because they, they led the game three nothing. Pretty incredible. it didn't end well for them. So it, it's interesting to see. Then on the road, they've just they've been able to do different things to win. They've won with offense. They've won with defense. They've squeaked out games they they you know I mean they've just won different ways and to me that is so much better and you're sitting there and I know it's easy uh again for for even us to sit here and talk about and go what what's wrong with the offense what are we gonna do with the offense gonna do with the offense? you know but if the defense keeps playing the way it is and the offense gives you anything then you got to feel pretty good about what is down straight now when the offense does give you more you're probably going to still give up a little bit more just the way that things work out. But I think if the defense can continue to sort of suffocate teams and, and keep them 
you know, around the 60-point mark, rather, rather it's, you know, give or take three points, 63 to 57 range. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many teams, um, and I know Wofford almost did it, but there's not many teams are going to be able to win those type games, I think, with ETSU. Glad you brought up the 16-game win streak. Let's go back to that. Against Furman, you remember that game? DeSante Bradford, game winner, 62-61. The Bucks shot under 40% that day. Now, they were, as you mentioned, pummeling a lot of their opponents. They crushed Chattanooga. They crushed Sanford. They crushed Mercer. One by, oh, let's see, 19, 19, and 18 in that stretch to start conference play. They destroyed VMI. Uh, the list kind of goes on. Uh, massacred Western Carolina. So there were a lot of blowouts. But even when the Bucks were at their best, 16 in a row, nation's longest win streak, they still shot under 40% against Furman, found a way to win and they shot below 40% against the Citadel. You remember that one. I think it was an open three from the left wing. Can't remember who shot it, but clanged it at the buzzer. It would have been 74-73 Citadel one. Bucks got a bit fortunate, but regardless, shot 36% and still won 73-71. to Matt Frierson. Frierson. Frierson from the left wing. Great kick out by whoever drove it. Frierson had a clean look at the basket, just missed it. Um, so, again, the point to reiterate it, to bring it back to ETSU is, even when teams are at their best for long periods of time, some of the best teams that we've seen either at ETSU or around the country, it's not always going to be easy on the offensive end. There are going to be struggles. It is going to be struggles. It, it, it's, and you feel like at some point the lid's going to come off the basket. Yes. And, and don't know when it is. And, and I thought maybe VMI, because <clears throat> they've been scoring more, but they've been giving up a lot more. And, I mean, if you would have said, okay, ETSU – one by six, I would have probably said, okay, 90 to 84, yes, 80 to That's 74. Still wouldn't have been like 61, 55. Right. Right? I, I, I clearly mean you didn't feel that way going by both predictions last game. No. I, just, I just felt like that was a team that had been scoring more and they're giving up a lot of points. Just interesting to see, again, how ETSU's finding ways to win. And to, to Steve Forbes's point that we just heard, the Bucs can't continue to shoot like they did because what game broke that 16-game winning streak? UNCG lost by 18 on the road shot 30% and then ultimately that season ended against UNCG very similar game 62 to 47 shot 30% as well so those couple of games against UNCG kind of defined that season we turned them over 19 times and I thought that was I thought that sped them up one of the things um, coming out of the firmer game I was mad about with myself is I let them just kind of walking into their offense and we pressed late but probably should have done it the whole game and I think in this deal here like today you can't let these guys just walk it up and run their off. They're going to pick you apart. We sped them up, and I thought that helped us uh, too. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that defensive effort that you talked about, and I mentioned with the 19 turnovers. Did get out-rebounded 37-33, to 33, but as you mentioned, no Jerome Rodriguez. You're a little bit weaker down low. I think you're a lot weaker down low, but still, that VMI's such a weird team because even though they have, quote-unquote, five men, they're really not. I mean, they're stretch threes and five-man bodies right I mean it's really they, they want to step back there and shoot a lot I thought it was an excellent job by Goussaint able to uh really post up in the second how like really go aggressively hard at whoever was in at the center position whether um it was Kramer or Stevens or whoever it was and did a great job of just drawing fouls because they, they even though he's not particularly a great guy he was able to work block to block, and that's something that I don't think those players are used to, and they kept sort of hooking and getting called for it. So I, I thought they did a good job of the size, but still I think it's a little disappointing that the guards got – I remember there was one play on offense, and it was a quick three, and the ball bounced in the lane twice with no white jerseys even remotely going towards a rebound. Whether they'd have got it or not, I, I think it was a moot point. Just they didn't even attempt to go get an offensive rebound. And that uh, drew a little bit of an hour from the coaching staff at the next media timeout, which happened to be the next dead ball, in which they wore out people like, what, what, what are we doing? Like, you just can't rely on – and that happened a lot last year. It was almost like, well, okay, well, if Armas and Rodriguez aren't getting the rebound, it doesn't matter. We're not even going to go in there. Like, either those guys are going to get it or not, and it costs some games. So, I think you have to get back to the gang uh, rebound mentality. And on the offensive end, I get one, maybe two guys need to get back. But VMI isn't a team – that's really looking to score in transition. I mean, it's really not their game. So I was just shocked that the guards really kind of let everybody down by not trying to go and grab more boards. Here's your player of the game. His best game is a box. Yesterday in practice, we knew they was going to play zone coming out. So we had to um, be aggressive and attack it and um, move the ball. But I just knew off the dribble, I think they couldn't stay in front of me. So I just uh, was determined to drive a lot. So it came easily. 
And a night where Trey Boyd went 3 of 14, Isaiah Tisdale 2 of 7, Patrick Good 2 of 9, Bo Hodges 0 of 6. It was Vonnie Patterson, 4 of 5. His most field goals in an ETSU uniform had just 16 on the year coming into that game against VMI. Had 11 points, his first double-figure effort in terms of scoring the basketball. Tied his second most rebounds in a Buccaneer uniform. And I think some of that is he hasn't gotten the extended minutes, right? I mean, you look down as game by game, and he had 32 against Appalachian State, his first start in a Buccaneer uniform, but has not been on the court nearly as much a lot of the games that he's played in 26 minutes against VMI really made the most of it what did you like about his game on Saturday I thought the first couple possessions uh, Isaiah Tisdale was able to drive either score or got very wide open looks to Vonnie Patterson the other thing is is he worked hard on the offensive end to grab and scrape for a couple of rebounds and even though uh, I think the Bucks, I think he had three offensive rebounds they only scored on one of them um, or somebody had three offensive rebounds, and I remember they just had one of them. But Vonnie Patterson was able to do a lot on the offensive end. A little bit of the extended minutes, a little bit I, I still felt like they could have had more. I mean, they were so successful at getting those guys, and it's just a, a bad mismatch on the other end. Vonnie Patterson, what makes him and Bo Hodges special defensively is that they can guard really all over the place, a guard, a forward, whatever it may be. And so I think he was very good defensively on what he needed to do. I think offensively they actually needed to get him the ball more, and the post needed to get the ball more. I mean, you look at the numbers from the guards, and I talked to head coach Steve Forbes about it, and you're looking, Bo Hodges 0 for 6 from the floor. Patrick Good was 2 of 9. Trey Boyd was 3 of 14. I mean, when you sit there and you go, golly, 5 of 29 from, from you know, and then you got 10 of 14 from the post. And they're foul trouble, and they're getting the line. And I, I just felt like, you know, the guards, which have been very good this year at recognizing, hey, because just look at the Citadel, Rodriguez having a day. What they do is keep giving the ball to Rodriguez. You know, there was a game earlier this season, maybe App State, where Gasson was having a good day. And, hey, we're going to keep feeding Lucas Gasson. So I, I felt like they've done a good job of doing that. But in this game, it felt like – and maybe and maybe because people weren't stringing together two and three baskets – be able to come too far apart that it was hard to do it but I really felt like they should have got the basketball inside more and and Patterson is skilled offensively um, I think it's just a situation where you just don't need him to score and so I mean in all honesty he, he's probably your seventh or eighth option but I think when he's having a decent day I think when anybody's having a decent day, you need to probably try to find him and give him the basketball. Nice thing for ETSU coming up against Sanford, and we talked about it's not going to be easy against Sanford because no Southern Conference game is going to be easy, but it's a good chance for them to snap out of their offensive slump. Sanford is giving up 78 points per game. That's second most in the Southern Conference. They're last in the league in scoring margin. Granted, it's only negative two, their scoring difference on the year per game, and also a chance for ETSU rebounding-wise to go and crash the glass and have a better performance on the boards as opposed to what they did against VMI because Sanford's giving up nearly 40 rebounds per game. That's most in the Southern Conference, and we'll break that down more Wednesday. Yeah, and I just want to go over the fact I bet they'll be guarding a three-point line after they give up 17 threes wow. to Chattanooga. Oof. So, All right, we'll talk about that on Wednesday. Let's talk ETSU women's basketball win at Western Carolina. We'll talk about that after this timeout. Send us sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. and a sidekick back with you on this Monday as we talk ETSU women's basketball. Mike Gallagher was on the call. I got a chance to listen in uh, pretty much to all of it. I got to Freedom Hall early just so uh, I could dial in and listen. And uh, Mike reminded me at some point in time I got to mute my mic because <laughs> what people don't know is we're automatically linked no matter what buttons they have back here. And uh, it took me a while to do that, and I couldn't convince Bruce to stop talking at some point. But uh, figured out how to mute us. Got a chance to listen to the end. What I was impressed by late game the defensive uh paralysis of a couple of ladies i thought shania jackson and listening to your call 
uh, Micah Sheets were able to come up with two huge plays, and then maybe West Carolina not doing good clock management, but the defense, when needing to step up and make plays, make plays. Yeah, the clock management was really strange because you had Judith Martin Ruiz just standing in front of, I think it was Kaya Upton. No, it was Micah because Micah was the one that ended up going to the line and sealing the game. There was like 25 seconds left. Western Carolina had just come off trying to, or they had just come off making a three. Then there was a 30-second timeout. 25 seconds left on the clock, right? Shot clock's off, 30-second shot clock in college basketball. To get the ball back when you're down one point, in that situation, widely known common knowledge that you need to foul. And instead of trying to trap Micah Sheets and force a turnover or Judith Martin-Ruiz at least like pawn at the ball or something, she just stood right in front of her about a foot and a half away and looked back at the clock and looked at Micah and looked back to the clock and looked at Micah until half the clock had wound down and there were 13 seconds left and Micah ends up going to the line after she's fouled, makes both free throws. I just, again, do not understand what they were going for Kylie Hill and the Catamounts he's in his first season I know he hasn't been a head coach in a little bit of time but that seems like an obvious go and at least try and force a turnover that's the perfect time to try and force a turnover with 25 seconds on the clock then if you don't get the turnover about 15 seconds left I understand but they didn't even try that they just stood there so strange but Micah Sheets was having a tough day all day right she had her worst offensive performance since Tennessee first game of the year now she's been in double figures for 16 straight games because she hit these free throws at the end to get to 10 points but was two of 13 from the field she hits the free throws after martin ruiz fouls her and then just kind of face guarding uh her uh i can't remember if it was jewel smalls or who she was guarding maybe it was lauren laplante because they needed a three and laplante had hit four of those on the day but uh just looking right at her defender hands up and Judith Martin Ruiz after fouling out gave way to Andrea Martin Ruiz who's also a point guard her sister from Granada Spain and Andrea Martin Ruiz goes in front of Micah Sheets so Sheets is about 25 feet away from the basket Martin Ruiz about 20 feet goes in front to try and get Sheets to slap at the ball instead Sheets just keeps her hands up looking at either Smalls or LaPlante whoever she was guarding and the ball hits the back of her hand she gets the steal then is fouled, hits two more free throws, 62-57 to 57 the final. The final four points for her. ETSU hit 11 of their 12 free throws in the fourth quarter, really iced the game that way. And that was a problem against UNCG, I thought, was they just didn't play their game in attacking the basket, being aggressive, got punched in the face, and never really came back from that first quarter. But give them credit here because they didn't get to the line that often the first three quarters. But where they've made their money, where they've been so good, where they buttered their bread the entire year is going to the line and converting and that's what they did 11 of 12 to seal up the victory their first in the southern conference and it was a big one i think uh you know number one you don't want to be the person that uh, ends the streak correct that's that's the first thing you don't want to do and you needed that you needed players to step up and make shots and i thought uh and find ways to score you know i know mike didn't have particularly a great shooting day but she found a way to get to 10 points Kaya Upton with a monster game for her, right? I mean, 17 points, that's not something you normally see, but six rebounds, five assists, six steals. Who's that sound like? That's exactly what I was going to say. Okay. Erica Haynes-Overton, yeah. Yeah, So, uh, and then, you know, Shania Jackson, 10 points, six boards for Kimbrough, six points. (sighs) I need a double-double from her, that's all right. (laughs) Uh, But you look at all that Lee Stafford was able to, I think she hit one of her first shots or or second shot, just, you know, after what had happened the, the previous game against UNCG, I think get that first shot go, I think three of seven. Not bad, one of four from three, but two of two from the line. I mean, I think you're starting to see players step up. Plus, Jada Cred, very extended minute, 24 yeah. minutes of action for her. And it looked like, even though there were some more bodies, it looked like Coach shortened the bench. It seemed to work, and ETSU gladly takes the victory, as you mentioned, with the free throw line. And I think the rebounding is always still going to be an issue, but it wasn't that bad. Uh, I mean, considering – what, what it has been and what it is. And, and just like I was talking about the men last segment, they got to be able – the guards got to be able to go help. I think the guards have to go help. And I know Micah Sheets isn't particularly somebody you expect to have rebounds, but you got to find a way to get one board. I, I think that would be my only critique. I, two for 13, she'll be fine. She's going to knock down shots. She's going to do what she does, shooting the basketball, the four assists, all that. I think that's great. I think she's got to figure out a way to get a rebound or two just to help everybody out. And you look at rebounding, I think ETSU can expect to be in the conference, you know, anywhere from negative three to negative six 
in rebounding and coach Zell in the non-conference was talking about how the Bucks are just trying to against some of the really good rebounding teams in the country Tennessee Wake Forest Georgia Tech Cornell goes on and on they're trying to be like negative 10 to negative 12 but don't let it get out of control I think in the Southern Conference that number shrinks to about negative three negative four negative five if you can keep it to that you're going to give yourself a chance in a lot of games they're only I think minus two or minus one against UNCG there were other issues that day just offensively but again they still gave themselves a chance they were down just eight with I think it was six seven minutes to go where against Western Carolina you know you're back and forth the entire day and you just hit your free throws at the end and it was excellently done by Jada Craig to come in and get those extended minutes because Amaya Adams rolled her ankle during shoot around didn't end up playing so you're down to nine bodies and Craig was on a minutes limit minutes restriction but she ends up being able to play 24 and is just a warrior and just guts out those minutes because you can see when she jogs on and off the court there's just so little mobility with that right leg anymore uh, but she's diving on the floor. She's you know slapping balls out of the opponent's hands. Um, she's doing everything she possibly can to contribute. And she's never going to be, I think, an explosive offensive player scoring the ball. But she does all the intangibles that you don't see in the box score. And you mentioned Kaya Upton. I didn't say it on the broadcast just because you know there's news with Erica Haynes Overton this week. She's going to Kansas. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw that on Twitter, but um, she announced that she's going to the Big 12. Kansas projected last. In the Big 12, they were receiving a vote in the AP Top 25 this week because they had a really good non-conference season. She won't be eligible to play until next year, of course, but that was the first thing that came to my mind as well. You, you just mentioned it, and, and when you look at how she just stuffed the stat sheet, that's what Haynes Overton, her high school teammate, did a lot of when she was at ETSU, and Upton's just kind of picking up where Haynes Overton left off. 17, 6, 5, and 6. Her career high in points, tied her career high in steals. She's now third in the conference in steals, so doing a little bit of everything and I think in my bold prediction that we'll talk about in a little bit I said five double digit scores against Western Carolina for ETSU because I wasn't counting on that one explosive offensive performance and I certainly wasn't counting on it from Kaya Upton who tends to be more of a distributor more of someone that takes the ball away but right at a perfect time because as you mentioned you don't want those streaks to be broken it's now 12 in a row against Western Carolina for ETSU they've lost 22 in a row in the Southern Conference uh, Kaya Upton needed to do what she did. Someone needed to, and it ended up being Kaya. I kept holding my breath late in the game because Jewel Smalls was, was you know, as you kept saying, 0 for 5. Yep. 0 for 6. Yep. 0 for 7. 0 for I'm Tough just day. sitting there going, at some point in time, she's going to get one to drop. She's too good not to. Yeah. And she didn't. 0 for 9. And and it seemed like it was a little bit of conscious effort to obviously try to disrupt her, not give her to clean But, you know, it's tough for somebody you know it's going to take – 15 shots a game. I think got 17 in that one. Yep. But she's going to take 15 shots a game. That's what she's about averaging. And so at some point in time, she's going to get somewhat of a clean look. And every time down the stretch, I just kept thinking a law of averages is going to hurt the Bucks at some point. And it did not. And that was a huge uh, get for ETSU. Every once in a while, right, you need somebody to step up. You maybe need somebody for the other team not to be able to knock down a shot here or there that they normally do. And unfortunately for West Carolina, it was not Small's day. And fortunately for ETSU, it was Kyle Upton's day to step up and have her name and maybe make her presence felt for the rest of the year. No doubt. And Jewel Smalls is one of those players that can be unbelievable one day. We saw it at Brooks Gym last year where she dropped 32 and then the next time ETSU played him, 6-19. You know, did have 16 points, but 6-19. Only had eight points against the Bucks, And a lot of the shots she was taking, you know, is pretty lined up well, like left wing. You know, I'm opposite of the ETSU bench, and so I'm looking kind of diagonally right at the basket where Western Carolina, far side of the court from me. You can see Smalls line up those shots from the left wing, and none of them were really close. You know, just a bad shooting day for her. She's doing a lot more on the boards this year and doing a lot more overall to help Western. And she had 15 rebounds. I mean, eight points, 15 rebounds, pretty good day for a lot of people. But when you're averaging 14 points per game and you do have the explosive capability on the offensive end, like smalls does, uh, yeah, you expect better. That stat line just isn't good enough to help your team get a victory because it's basically you and Lauren LaPlante and LaPlante's essentially just a shooter. I mean, she made four threes, took 12 of them. Nine of them were in the first quarter, I believe it was either first quarter or first half. Uh, but goes 4 for 12 from outside the rest of the team, just 3 of 18. So big win for ETS. You needed it coming off of UNCG, and now you get to finally, for the first time in four weeks against a Division One opponent, they had the Converse game at home New Year's Eve, but against a Division One opponent, finally back home against Furman and Wofford, a couple of teams that were projected right around the top of the conference. So needed that to build momentum, boost confidence. Hopefully Amaya Adams will be ready. That ankle will progress going forward towards Thursday because um, right now it's just nine bodies again for ETSU, and they could really use that 10. 
Uh, definitely could use it. And it's running joke, right? You finally got 10 back for, what, UNCG, and it was one game and back down and I nine. swear to you, the first thing that happened when Amaya Adams rolled her ankle and she was down in some pain, you know, coaches all goes over and obviously makes sure she's all right. But then coach, you know, as she realized instead of crying, Amaya Adams is laughing after she the pain starts to wear off a little bit. She turns around to me and she just holds up nine fingers. <laughs> she says, it's going to be nine again. And it is a running joke, but it's also one of those painful running jokes. You oh, know? Yeah. It's just, no doubt. You almost have to chuckle at it or it's going to drive you insane. All but right, so good to see those nine bodies do well. Wednesday we'll preview the game against Furman, and Friday we'll uh, recap that and talk about the game against Wofford for the women's team, both games in Brooks Gym this weekend. Uh, both games on air, too, on the Buccaneer Sports Network as well. We'll step aside for a timeout. Pros versus Jays after this on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Pros. Buckle up for Kobe Kobe Bryant just sucked the gravity out of the target center. What a play. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! In your life have you seen anything like that? In the deep left center for Mitchell. And we'll see you tomorrow night. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. In a year that has been so the impossible has happened. Edmonds hit 42 home runs during the regular season. And we are going to Game 7 in the National League Championship Series. The out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going to go the Bears. The Bears have won. The Bears have won. Versus Jays. I need a shower. The worst bumper in the world, Mike Gallagher. Thinks it's cute and funny. Good for you, Mike. Here we go. All right, what do you got today? This is more of a expose in pros versus Jays rather than, you know, the quick, nice and easy, easy into being made fun of, easy out of being made fun of within like two or three minutes. This is more of a slow burn, which is one of my favorites when it comes to making fun of you. And it starts with our first show in the new year. Let's go back to it, talking about New Year's resolutions for each other. Mike Gallagher's last one. Put a reverb on it. certainly have some overreactions mm. and over-hyperboles, if mm. you will. Yes. And I just <laughs> feel like good. if we could tone that down, you know, one of the greatest this and it's absolute that, or this team is immediately forking them done because they gave up one, you know, lousy game. I mean, just the immediate jump. Mm. I think if you could slow down a few mm. uh, immediate takes and just let yourself, you know, sleep on it for another game, not necessarily a next day, but let a team play out a day or two, and then uh, and go and then you know some of the hyperbole leaves. Let's just, just well, to little. me, you know, you've had some bad takes. That is your unequivocally worst take in the history of bad takes, and you can tell where that's going. But that's funny coming from you, considering Wesley Miller's ejection Wednesday at UNCG. Fifty seconds to go in a game in ETSU. Tied with UNCG at 57 points apiece. Both teams in a double bonus on any foul. And each team with one timeout this left. This includes Good the slow buildup of events. Logo. See what they're trying that seemed to very do. tame Good. Trying to so far. Against Isaiah Miller. They want to go to Hodges. He's covered up. And then ball got knocked down. There's going to be a shove and a foul. And Pat Good's going to get free throws out of this. Oh, that's going to get the town. He's crazy. I include that one because I think that made Miller crazy. Well. Remaining that the UNCG can take the lead here. That How was one of the weaker calls. Go, the I go very quickly, <laughs> UNCG. Miller with the basketball. Miller working against Tisdale, just running the regular offense. Behind the back dribble, spin dribble. Tisdale's in his hip pocket. Miller goes down. That's an offensive foul. Miller. Isaiah Miller with an offensive foul. You can start to see Bucks the steam coming out of Miller's ears. The veteran Sounds like a great call so far. <laughs> so far. Who are they going to foul with 23.8? Who are they going to foul, baby? They got a little fired up there. <laughs> And it looks like they're trying to get Pat Good the ball. And a timeout before that. I think that Steve may have also. Got it before the five, There's another piece no to the puzzle. There's no doubt. Oh, and Wesley Miller just got teed up with 23.8. That is awful, Wesley. What are you doing? Okay. Fair. 
so far. A channel and West Rose is close to being exited out of this game. Oh, what are you doing? It's a one-point game. Clearly Hawks get two decision. free throws and the ball back. That's awful. I mean, this game, this game is still going with 23.8. I am shocked. Why would you do that? And now he's out of the game. Wesley Miller's out of the game. I don't understand. What are you doing? That's the worst decision in the history of basketball. Mm. Find me another one. In the history. Find mm. me another one. Wow. Find what me another in one. in the world? With Find 23.8, me. what are you doing? So I thought. Hold oh, on. Is it still going? Oh, yeah. I don't. Great. You fired up the fans. You still could have won the game. And Wes Miller just went at his AD. And things start to unravel there, obviously. But interested, Jay Sandoz. I, I thought the worst way I've ever seen to lose a game was in the Dome with 1.3 to go in overtime. Okay. In a tie game. Okay. ETSU got a defensive rebound. A.J. Merriweather's freshman year. And Lipscomb decides to grab him around the waist and foul him because the freshman thought they were down. He didn't know. That's that call, That's correct? The, he didn't know. We've used that one before. Yep, and I thought that would be the worst way to lose a game ever if you're a player. And then Wesley happened. And Wes, and I gone back and looked at it. We, we broke it down, I think, already. But I, I just, out of all the ways, if you're a player to lose a game, you're thinking, well, my coach got teed up. Okay, well, it's 23 points. Okay, well, we're down one. Okay, now we're down two. And now he just got tossed. We have no way to win. <laughs> like, what in the – like, I'm trying to put myself – I can't think of another way that would be worse. And there might be out there. There might be somewhere out there. But with time, situation, score, I thought that's worse than the fouling of a tie game with one second because it, even then you're like, okay, what's the decision? And they hit a free throw. You're probably not going to hit the half-court heave, although that almost did bank in for Lipscomb at that time. Uh, Keon Sankey, if you don't look it up, almost nailed it in. But the second, uh, the the two technicals with a lot of time to still win the game, I think jumps that one. I'd like to just recap in case over that two-minute, 10-second buildup because you wanted to include all three calls that I think mm-hmm. really got Wesley Miller going at the end mm-hmm. to get the technical and then ultimately the second technical. Last week, you tell me to cut out the hyperbole, then Wesley Miller gets ejected, and then you say, That's the worst decision in the history of basketball. In the history. Just summarize it. Like, one more, again, can, can one more time. Can one you more name time. another Sorry. one? That's the worst decision in the history of basketball. How about Chris can, Weber trying to call a timeout when he didn't have any for Michigan? Not to have that hit home, but. Uh, well, they were still down. They were down when that happened. So. Well, UNCG was down when Wesley Miller got technical. Yeah, there was still more time. And Wesley compounded that by picking up the second technical and getting. It's bad enough he got the first. Yeah. And, and to get that. Uh, so you don't so think this is hyperbole, is what you're saying? You're arguing that that assessment. I'm still in the going with. I can't find one. I, I can't find. I even tried to look it up. I tried to look up bad ways to lose a college basketball game, <laughs> and literally, I googled some I of this stuff. I believe that you googled it. And, and I, I'm trying to find, and I cannot. But by the way, could you play what I said to you? Could, could you hit that? Right, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hit, Gladly, hit, hit that, I Gallagher's last one. You certainly have some overreactions. Right, and over- Your New Year's resolution was that. I say nothing about whatever I'm supposed to do. Yeah, but you're telling me to stop something, then you turn around to do it. Well, clearly, That's we, the worst decision we, we have to in stop the history working of basketball. Oh, because, okay. Is this me getting fired? Is this me being fired on air? Uh, I knew it would not, come not on to air. this one not, day. Not on. Oh, okay. But uh, we both have uh, picked up, I think, habits from the other one because <laughs> right, we worked together. Right. Because right. listen, and I, I even wrote it down, uh, one of the – uh, I've never heard you say it before, but one of the free throws was hit, and, and you mentioned that he cashed it or whatever. Yeah. Which is clearly uh, – Is that a you? That is. That's, yeah. that's a me. That's one of, that's one of my, my patents I go to. Which I've never, oh, okay. Yeah, I've never, and I've never heard you. So one of those were like you, you've heard it over and yeah. over, not thinking about it, comes into play. There are a hit. couple of things that I've said on air that when I've gone back and listened to my own tape, I'm like, I've got that from Mike. <laughs> I did it with John Stevens. I did it with Keith Brake. Now, I'm, sure. the um, – Every time I break out the random good, right? It's Don Hellman. I mean, there's, sure. there's plenty of things. There, there's a couple of, I've gotten from Harper over the years. I've mm-hmm. listened enough of his games. Uh, Robert Harper, a sideline reporter for uh, on football. So there's a lot that you do, whether you, you mean to or not, that you have heard, you picked up, you go, whatever. And if you have a favorite broadcaster, sure. if you listen to them enough as a play-by-play person, eventually you do mimic one or two things that oh, come yeah. up, especially in the heat of the moment. So so maybe I've just taken that from you. I've decided to be the overtop guy. <laughs> I think the really the good, I think the really good broadcasters take a little bit from like all of the other good broadcasters that they really like. And yeah. none from us? 
Well, yeah, correct. Yeah, obviously. But they take a little bit from everyone and not too much from any one person, so it's almost like a yeah, coming sure. together of and all. You, and you still be your own greatness. person, right. Um, Is that so all you got for No, it's not all I have oh, for you. Goodness. This, I think we have to bring in a pro, right? And it's yep. pros versus Jays. Okay. And in uh, remembrance of the Minnesota Vikings season, I bring back an oldie but a goodie with your friend Joe Buck. disgusting act by Randy Moss and it's unfortunate that we have that on our air live that is disgusting by Randy Moss so hyperbole from you maybe a bit of hyperbole from Joe Buck I think that was the 2004 divisional game where Randy Moss catches the touchdown on a bum leg and goes to the goal post and pretends he didn't actually pull his pants down pretends to pull the pants down and shoot the moon to the fans and Joe Buck I think maybe a little over the top with disgusting act what the man being fully clothed still in his uniform I don't really understand that he got a lot of heat for that at the time too the hyperbole of a disgusting act. It's a shame we carried that on our airwaves. Unless you agree. Is it a disgusting act? Well, it first of all, like you think it's a disgusting act. Other than when Randy played at Marshall. Yeah. Love Randy Moss. I mean, I'm a huge Same. Randy Moss guy, no matter where he plays. Especially Minnesota. But no, you it, love it the matter. Patriot days, I mean, yeah. I liked him in uh, Minnesota. Heck, even with the Raiders. I uh, played with the Niners again, and he was awful. I loved played any, with the Vikings anytime, after that. Yeah. Anytime Randy Moss was uh, on the, the field... Uh, and the iconic, I even go back, the Marshall they played all the time when he uh, playing Army, of course, and I hated I mean, there's not really at one point in time, it was not a college football team I hated worse than Marshall, as wow. most fans did when they were winning national championship, national championship and all that. But it, it was one of those iconic things where he leaps a guy for Army and all that. But I just love Randy Moss. It was a bit uh, interesting because it was, because at, at that time there were still people doing throat slashes yes. and things of that manner. To pick so, that thing out is like. Come on, Joe Buck. I mean, clearly you just said I'm better than Joe Buck, so I'm going with that. <laughs> that that's what that's I took from that. That's the worst decision in the history of basketball. Excellently done. All right, there we go. There's Pros versus Jays. Uh, a very quick bold prediction recap because all we need to talk about is my win after this on Buccaneer Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks' Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSMAM 640, The Sports Monster. Everyone in the stadium and across the NFL world is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire. Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There is a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just not a good human. But unless you've been living under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded. Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England. The great Bill Belichick keeps giving Gordon chances. Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out, if UCLA had paid his buyout, he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. Bold predictions. What do we start with? My win? Or are you going to hold? Are you going to hold? Are you going to hold? Are you going to give me that right away? Let's hold. Let's hold. Okay. Let's hold. Let's talk about all the things we Let's do. talk about how great I am. Terribly. I said that ETSU, one of the men's basketball players on Saturday versus VMI, would break the single game record this year for points in a game. I think it was 26, 27, something like that. Uh, needless Trey to say. Boyd. Yeah, needless to say, uh, they did not get close, unfortunately. I think the high was what, 14? 12. Right? 12. Wow, 12, was it? So it didn't even get halfway there. Uh, You could have combined the top two guys and it wouldn't have got there. (laughs) Well, if it's tied for second, 
three guys tied with 11 points, so then if you add that to 12, I would have gotten 25. Oh, yeah, you would have won. Good job. Good job. Way to recover. Uh, five players in double digits for women's basketball in their win over Western Carolina. Again, I wasn't really banking on the Kaya Upton explosion offensively. 17 points for Hurt. 10 for Snyder Jackson, 10 for Micah Sheet. So ETSU now in each of their six victories has had at least three double-digit scores, as we talked about on the Friday edition of Santos and the Sidekick. But I came up one point short with Lee Stafford, but then four points short with Ty Kimbrough. So I actually would have taken the double-double from Kimbrough, plus one more point from Stafford, if I could have gotten five double-digit scores, and you could have gotten the Kimbrough double-double, which is one of your bold predictions, which you did not get. I did not get, and I would have taken that too. I was equally bad on the men's side, because we expected an offensive oh, yeah. game yeah. Uh, from both teams, not just ETSU. We thought VMI would be able to, just because of the style of the play, the number of threes they take, they would get to 70, 75. Yeah maybe even 80, something like that, but uh, didn't happen. I thought 90 points. I think it was two guys with 20 points, so I needed a lot to happen there as well. So we just uh, all the way around didn't expect the low-scoring affair that we saw. No, definitely not. And uh, ETSU going back to that single game, Jeremy Rodriguez, 26, Trey Boyd, 25, Patrick Good, 24, Bo Hodges, 23, and clearly so you no one approached 27 that. 27 or more, that's what you needed. You need 27 or more. And it yeah, just, didn't get it. No, not quite. Uh, I said Vikings over Niners. Yeah, I was you riding did. that train, and I, I knew the Titans had a chance, too. Unfortunately, you are the one that predicted correctly that the Titans would beat the Baltimore Ravens on the record at least. I think I had it off the record, but we only count on the record victories here on Santos and the Sidekick. He is the smartest man in the universe. Well done. If well we count it off the record, I'm, I'm winning by a lot. Oh, okay. I've been right a lot. Here's the issue. I just feel like, and this is what irks me about your love now of the Titans, I give you a New Year's resolution. Somehow, you embrace it. Instead of just scoffing at it and sliding it off to the side, I say, move on from Tom, move on from the quarterback, move on from the Patriots. It's over for the franchise. You've had a nice run. It's done. you got to find a new team, support a new quarterback, just move on from Tom. And you, for whatever reason, pick the Titans. I don't know if it's because in the same state or you just go right to Tannehill and the Titans, and it seems like right when you start backing them, they start winning, and I just hate that for them and for you. I mean, I like and Vrabel. For I mean, I like Vrabel. I, I, and honestly, I've said this before, I've, I've always kind of enjoyed watching. Most of the Titans teams have been what I really do like, which is ground-oriented offenses, some play action, good defense. Like, it's just, for me, I like watching that type of football. It's tough to watch teams that score 50 because it's always tough for them to win when it gets into crunch time. Super Bowl teams generally – aren't the teams that lead the league in score. I am just so Very frustrated rare. that this is working out for you. Can I say so, this too? So um, what's the average that people usually stick with a New Year's resolution? A couple days. Maybe a month. Maybe a month. Yeah. Although it would be about exactly a month at the time. You're, oh, no. I don't... <laughs> That look in your eyes has me very concerned. So you're going to just take the Titans the rest of the way. What if they win the Super Bowl? You'd never let That's me win it down. You'd never then, let me win it down. And then, and then of uh, course, if once they do, you know, my resolution will probably be over and I'll be back on the other side. Uh, but right now, the New Year's uh, resolution's yeah. working, baby. We're going uh, Titans the rest of the way. So Write much. it down. This is the worst. All right. What do we got Wednesday? Preview? Men's and Women's fell Basketball. Fell Downs. Oh, Fell Downs. Buccaneers Network. See ya.